Greetings, ladies and metal gents, and welcome to this narration of the web series Humans Don't Make Good Familiars. If you're new to the series, there is a playlist listed in the description. And as always, I hope that you enjoy. Chapter 19. Jake's Point of View. Wait, I may be confused. You were punished for what exactly? Sue asked. It was morning now, and I had gone back to Edmosia pretty early in the morning to talk to Suma about what happened. I was sitting in a vine chair in our squad's room, and she was perched in a metal bar nearby. I wasn't punished. I was just questioned. But if they can prove I did something, which I didn't, then I will be arrested. They think I was money laundering, or hiding taxes, maybe. Really, I was a bit lost during the whole thing, I explained. Why do they not simply... All right. For a moment I forgot your people cannot do magic. Suma shook her head and ruffled her feathers, like she was chastising herself for forgetting. Jake, how do people in your world investigate crimes without memory magic? Do you people often get punished for crimes they did not commit? Sometimes, but it isn't so all common where I live. On my world, we have people who are trained for years before they are allowed to become detectives. They learn how to tell when people are lying, how to find people when they are trying not to be found, and how to intercept evidence they find at crime scenes. I suppose this bears consideration... But what do we do if you are arrested by your people? She asked. I doubt that it will happen. I didn't actually commit any crimes. At least, none that I know of. Hopefully, this will blow over in a few days. I shrugged. Are you not worried? I'm terrified. I've never had something like this happen to me before. Well, except for the noble thing last year. But nothing like this has happened to me on my world, anyway. But should we not have a plan? If only as a precaution? Look, I really, uh... I just wanted to want to think about it, okay? If something does happen, you can just summon me, and that'll be that. I sighed, feeling that churning in my stomach return. I know that you do not, but we need to nonetheless. Suma pressed the issue, ignoring my discomfort. My lawyer says that he can handle it, and that I should try and go about everything like normal enough for now. Perhaps if we summoned one of your investigators you mentioned at Moshe, they would understand, Suma suggested. I don't know. Maybe. I didn't think about that, but I'm worried about the larger repercussions. Meaning? I may have mentioned this before, but my country has a habit of, uh, well, let's just say it's probably better if the governments of the world don't learn of that Moshe, I said. Yes, I think you said something like that before. Anyway, if you cannot summon someone here, I suppose that means we have no choice but to leave it to your lawyer. Lawyer? Yes, that. Does that Moshe and other people who memorize the law and represent others in court? I asked. It may, but Ambos does not. If someone goes before a judge or a council, they've already undergone several memory delves and interrogations. There is no way an innocent Niemer would still be under investigation after all of that. After our talk ended, Suma sent me back home so I could rest. I didn't sleep last night and was exhausted. I fell face first down on my bed with a thumb and was out in just a few minutes. I didn't dream. Instead, it was like closing my eyes and opening them again. But a lot of time passed between it. I guess I was too stressed to dream. I woke up just in time to grab a snack before Suma summoned me for our daily training. Now that I was able to participate, I was getting a lot of good experience. After that was my magic classes. I'd been practicing my activation speed. I was standing in a room on a base. It was mostly made of grey stone. And the instructor who had been teaching me was perched on some vines about two meters away to my right. He was guiding me through magic activation exercises. You are doing much better now, Jake, he said. I would say that your activation speed is on the level of a, um, 
a standard Nehemoth child. In truth, my spell activation speed is a lot faster, but I was learning a technique that merged my original style with what I learned at boot camp. It was supposed to help me maintain power while still being able to activate spells quickly. That's why I was so slow. I almost can't believe children could do it. It's taken me weeks just to get this far. It comes more natural for Niamh, I suppose. Well, not every child will grow up to use magic regularly. We're all taught at least some. He raised his wings and cast a spell that formed a few targets from some of the vines scattered around the ground. Try using what you've learned and cast this nature spell. I nodded my head and started. Vines, I said, and the vines rose from the ground. I was imagining moving a cellular structure at first, but realized I was overthinking it and settled for just picturing them moving. Great, now use them to attack the target, he said. I imagined them moving like bullwhips, and one by one they cracked and popped, leaving huge gashes on them and the targets alike. How was that? I asked. It was great. You even used the lasher technique. Have you seen it done somewhere before? Yeah, kinda. Well, that is good. I was worried it would take a while to teach you that. He flew up and landed beside and now ripped targets to examine them. You have improved quite a bit since you first started. In the basics, at least. I always heard that the basics were the most important part. Indeed. Especially where magic is concerned. He stopped looking at the vines and turned to me. All in all, I would say that you're about three times as fast at activation as you used to be. So... I've gotten stronger. No, just faster. I might get scared if you got any stronger, he chuckled for a second. A spell's strength can come from improving the basics, but the amount of mana one possesses and uses has more to do with it. If you have gotten stronger over the last few weeks, it would not be by much. Oh, I said, nodding. But your magic control is far above what it was when we first met, so you should be proud of that. I'll admit, that made me smile a little. Now let's shift your trading. You need to learn how to manipulate your mana with more precision. Is that different from my normal magic control training? I asked. Imagine it more like the next flutter in your flight. It is simply a higher level of what you've learned so far. Practicing it will give you greater control over your spell effects, as well as make you less likely to break runes or magic channels. All right. What do I need to do? We'll start with mana molding, similar to the exercises that you've been doing so far. But this time, I want you to do them on a smaller scale. He fluttered down onto the ground beside me. I will demonstrate. An aura of light green magic surrounded him, then slowly moved down to the tips of his feathers. After all of it was gathered, the magic started to slough off his wingtips like water floating around aimlessly in a spaceship. It bubbled up and twisted on itself like a snake until it finally calmed down into a ball. Then it began to shrink until it was no larger than a marble. Cool, I said impressed. It was super neat to watch. I think I've done something like that before, but it didn't look nearly that intricate. That is not surprising. This training method was originally developed by children. Really? Well, uh, that is one rumor. I've heard anyway. Apparently a few gifted children created the technique to help them with their magic classes many years ago. And some of the adults started doing it after the children improved to a remarkable amount and quite quickly. My kids for kids, huh? Good for them. Indeed. 
Anyway, it is your turn. My instructor stepped and returned to his perch, letting the magical marble dissipate. The first part was pretty straightforward, and was similar to the body enhancement spell I learned during boot camp from Zuma. Manipulating the magic afterwards was a bit harder. I managed to do it, but it took me away longer than my instructor. How was that? I asked, still concentrating on keeping the little marble still between my hands. Very good. Now just one hundred more times. Can I ask you something? He nodded his head. I know you said that this could be useful for my runes and improving my control, but I feel like I have pretty good control of my spells already. Is there anything else it can do? Ah, so you feel like this practice technique may not be worth your time then? He asked, sounding rather smug, like he knew something I didn't. Um, I don't know. Maybe, I said, unsure. From what I've heard of your bout with the lieutenant, you nearly killed her several times because you lacked the necessary control, he said. Um, one hundred more times. Yes, sir. Suma's point of view. I see. So, since Antonel is under investigation, this is inconvenient, Lieutenant Tattoo said. Yes, ma'am. I was wondering, would it be possible to secure the room on base Jake was originally offered? I asked. So he wants to start living here, then? I have no issues with him getting his own room. He's rather large, after all. When did he come to this decision? She asked. Actually, ma'am, he does not know that I'm asking about this. I was simply wondering if it was possible. I plan to bring it up with him later, if you would be willing to accept, I explained. She stayed quiet for a moment, seeming in thought. Suma, I know your relationship with your familiar is uh, a strange one compared to most. So I feel as though you should get his consent first. I certainly would not want of my friends making major decisions for my life without my consultation, she pointed out. I know, and I will. I just wanted to know whether or not asking for it would be pointless. I feel fairly confident that I could convince him to live here full time. In fact, until we joined the army, he spent most of his time in a mosher anyway. I see. Well, if he accepts, I'll make sure the room is secure. But only if he accepts. He may be a familiar, but it is clear that he is no mindless servant or simple beast. She looked at me seriously for a moment, as if she had a question. Private Suma, Jake is quite powerful. Yes, ma'am, I acknowledged. Far more so than you, correct? Without a doubt, I nodded my head. Admittedly, it bothered me that Jake was so much stronger than I was. But I realized that my jealousness and envy was not due to his strength, but my annoyance with myself. I needed to get stronger, not to be better than Jake, but to be worthy of flying beside him. How were you able to... Uh, actually, I do not want to know. If I do not know, then I can deny it. With that, Lieutenant Tattoo assured me once again that so long as Jake agreed, then he would have a place to live in base. I left and contacted Jake just after his training classes. I summoned him to my room and decided to have a conversation with him then and there. End of chapter... Chapter 20. Jake's Point of View My mum's house door squeaked as I pushed it open with my butt. My hands were too full at the moment, so we just put a towel between the door and the frame to prevent it from closing all the way. We've been carrying boxes from my car for about ten minutes now. While movers put most of my stuff into storage shed, the only things I'm taking in is what I use regularly, like my computer and clothes. Suma and I talked, and we decided that it would be best if I moved to Atmosia full-time for a while. At least, until either the HMRC dropped their case against me, or until Suma and I left the Drake's training camp. 
At this point, I don't know which is more likely, but I doubt either will happen soon. Since I won't be living here full-time anymore, I decided to get rid of my apartment and legally moved back in with Mum. She was fine with it since it was only a technicality and I wouldn't be there often, only to check in with her every few days. She wasn't thrilled about the idea of me living in Atmosha, or the idea of me leaving Earth in general, I guess. But as long as I was being honest with her and keeping her in the loop, she supported me. Once every few days, I'll come back to check up on her and to visit, and she would keep me informed about what the HMRC were doing. I also decided to transfer the bulk of my savings to her, since I couldn't use it in Emoja anyway. Besides, I still have plenty of dull jars full of mana and gold coins to spend there if I need anything. I set the last of the brown cardboard boxes in my room and sat on the couch to rest. Jake, Mum said from the kitchen, do you want any food before you go? The movers won't be done for another hour, so you have time. Her house was small and fairly old at this point, so I could hear her as clear as day through the thin walls. Sure, Mum, what do you want? I can go pick something up, I offered. I didn't bother yelling, but I did have to raise my voice a little. I have leftover casserole from yesterday. Does that sound good? It is sausage and rice, she said, still yelling. Sounds good, I answered from outside. I heard someone shout out of curse, followed by the sounds of something heavy hitting the ground. I hope that didn't break, I mumbled to myself. I'm going to go check that, Mum. Be right back, I announced. I forced myself up from the couch and started outside. Okay, the food will be ready in a few minutes, she said. As I left, I heard the phone start to ring, and my mum answered it. I walked down to her porch and steps and saw one of the moving guy's left hands was covered in blood. Are you okay? I asked the guy. Ah! I gashed my hand, he responded. He was cradling his hand. There was blood on the ground and his arm. Something must have cut him pretty deep. We were carrying the bed frame, and I guess there was an exposed nail or something. Oh, that's going to need stitches, one of his co-workers told him in one of the thickest Yorkshire accents I've ever heard. You might want to take him to the doctor. Don't worry about the rest of the stuff. You guys can finish it after, I said. I looked over at the bed frame. It seemed fine. It was scratched up on the side. That hit the ground. It was made of metal, so it was going to be fine. Thanks. I'll take him to the doctor. and call my boss and send someone else to finish, his co-worker said. With that, the co-worker wrapped a rag around the guy's bleeding hand, and they left. I was much stronger than I used to be, thanks to all the working out and then getting healed by Suma. So I dragged the bed frame up to the shed and closed it up until the replacements arrived. I walked back inside. Mum, one of the movers left to go get some stitches. He gashed his hand open on my bed frame. They're going to send some replacements in a little while. Jake, something happened, Mum said nervously. What? I asked. She looked really upset. Her face was white, like she was afraid. Robert called. He said that the HMRC have put out a warrant for your arrest. Her hands were starting to shake. What? Why? They think you're trying to flee the country, Mum said. Why do they think... I started to ask, but then I realized I sold my apartment, gave my mum all my money, and nobody can ever really get a hold of me. Actually, never mind. I think I figured it out. Honestly, I was more surprised it took this long. Technically, they weren't wrong. I'm moving to Edmosia, but I didn't tend to sort all of this out, so... Moral grey area? He also said that you should turn yourself in to clear everything up, Mum added. Okay, I'll go there right now and sort this out. I walked into my room and grabbed my keys and phone. Do you want me to come? Mum asked. Nah, but you can call Robert back and tell him to meet me at the police station. 
The drive to the police station felt longer than it actually was. I was nervous, of course, but not as much as I was that first time. This time, I know I didn't technically do anything wrong. At least, not that they could prove. I pulled into the car park and went inside. The station was busy. Busier than the last time. No one seemed to pay me any mind. Yeah, I guess they don't expect wanted men just to walk in, huh? I thought to myself. I walked up to the police officer sitting behind the screen. He was on his computer, but looked up once I got there. Hi, I'm Jake Vandal. I was told that I had a warrant placed out for my arrest. My lawyer said I should come and turn myself in to clear this up. Sumer's point of view. The sky was clear above me, but I could see the storm clouds in the distance. If it were day, I could tell which way they were moving, but it was too dark at this time of night. The air was cold, too, which made flying harder. I was flying to my captain's quarters. He had sent a messenger with orders that I report to him immediately. I was being escorted by a messenger, a Niyama with even lighter blue feathers than my own, to the other side of the base. Once we got close, I saw it. From the air, it looked like just some stone outcropping. It blended into the landscape well. But the closer we got, the more I could tell there was molded stone. Its feathers were too smooth and precise to be natural. The messenger and I landed outside. The entrance was dug out in stone in such a way that you might miss it if you were flying or did not know where to look. It was too small for most familiars to get through, but that was most likely by design. A way to force majors to use up their mana, resummoning their familiars, and buy time as they did so. Captain Gigalus is waiting inside, the messenger said, and free flew away. I flew in and noticed it immediately got warmer. The captain was perched on a metal pole, reading planks that were leaning against the wall of his quarters. He must have heard my wings beating. He turned around and greeted me. Ah, Private Suma, welcome. Thank you for coming so quickly. I landed on a vine perch near to him. You're welcome, sir. I, may I ask why you summoned me so late at night? My voice was tense. There cannot be very many good reasons to receive summons from a commanding officer after hours, but I could certainly think of several bad reasons. It is about your familiar sentinel. Did he do something, sir? He's still rather unfamiliar with our culture. If he has done something wrong, I will accept full responsibility. I declared immediately. No, no, he's done nothing wrong. I breathed a sigh of relief. But that does not mean my reason for summoning you here is a happy one. That tense reading returned. The captain used manner wrapping to bring one of the planks he was reading when I arrived closer. Private Suma, can you read? He asked. Only a little, sir. I chose mathematics as my required secondary education while at the academy. But everyone had to take at least one runic language class, I explained. I see. He turned the plank towards himself and began explaining what it was. This is a request from the royal court and it bears the king's seal. They are ordering you and your familiar sentinel to appear before them. They want to talk to you both about his origins and his magic. Are we in trouble of some kind, sir? I asked. That may depend. I doubt you'll be punished if that is your only concern. But you may still face hardships while you are in the capital. The capital? Did you think the royal court would come here? You will have to travel to the capital. You leave in three days. He placed the plank down where it was leaning against the wall. I reward you. They likely also wish to know more than the request has mentioned. They may even demand Jake demonstrate his death magic for them. I understand. Thank you, Captain, I said. Private Sewer, 
While you are in the capital, try not to let them requisition you and your familiar. I do not understand. They may try to talk you into working directly for them. Do not listen to them. Neither you nor the Sentinel is ready for such things. No matter what those arrogant politicians may believe. He ruffled his feathers and seemed angry. If in a few years you choose to leave the Drakes and join them, then so be it. But I do not recommend you do so at this time. Neither of you have enough experience yet. You would end up as nothing more than pawns in their game. I see. Thank you, sir. I'll inform Jash Sentinel of this immediately. Captain Gagalus dismissed me, and I flew back to my Scots barracks. As I flew, I looked back at the clouds in the distance, but it was still too dark to tell which way the storm was blowing. Jake, are you awake? I called out to Jake over the private mental link. Zuma, please don't summon me, Jake answered quickly. It startled me. Why not? I asked. I'm being arrested. If you do, everyone will see it. But why are you being arrested? Did you commit a crime? No, but I didn't think I was going to. I'll be let go soon. I just have to sort this out, he explained. Okay, if you are sure, but I need to talk to you as soon as possible. Is something wrong? he asked. No, not exactly. I just received a summons. I will explain once you are free to talk. End of chapter. Chapter 21 Detective Lin's Point of View I can't believe he turned himself in, my partner, Detective Sergeant Grayson Howard, said. You think we jumped the gun on the warrant for his arrest? No. Even if he isn't going to flee the country, it looked like he was. We made the right choice, I told him. Which interrogation room is he in? Room 2. At that moment, an officer named Matthew walked up carrying a stack of papers. Detective Lynn, here's the financial report on the vandal case you wanted. Thank you, Matthew. Anything interesting in it? I asked. I bet you five quid. It's mostly expenses with gym membership. I mean, did you see the guy? My partner joked. Actually, yeah. He does go to the gym, but that isn't the interesting part. When Matthew said that, Grayson was right. Grayson smirked like he had won something. The part you may want to take a look at is how often he has visited those gold-for-cash places, specifically the one closest to his house. He's been in over 37 times this year. We'll go talk to the shop owner when we get a chance. Thanks, Matthew, I said, and took the paperwork from him. No need. I really did, Matthew answered proudly. Are you shooting for a promotion, Matthew? Grayson asked. Well, I am taking the detective's test in a few weeks. I figured a little practice experience couldn't hurt. Matthew smiled. So, what did the shop owner say? I asked. Apparently, Vandal has sold him more gold than anyone this year, and all of it was gold coins. But he stopped a few weeks or so ago, maybe a few months ago, Matthew said. Wasn't he in the hospital for a while not too long ago? Maybe he stumbled onto some kind of treasure and hurt himself getting it out. Grayson sat back in his chair and started to theorize. How long ago was the hospital visit and his last trip to the gold place? The hospital records were sealed. We're still waiting for the court order for them to be unsealed, I told him. The owner of the store says Vandal's last visit was about three to five months ago, but he couldn't remember exactly. I asked him to email me any paperwork he found about it, Matthew explained. Thanks. Let us know if anything comes up, I said. Sure. See you later. I gotta get back to patrols, Matthew said, and walked away. So, do we think he's trying to flee the country? Grayson wondered aloud. I don't know, but here's a better question. Where did he get all that gold? I said. Why don't we go ask him then? Grayson stood up and collected several documents before putting them onto his desk. So, uh, do you want to question him or me? 
We started walking to where Vandal was, and I told him, You can do it. I want to watch. A minute later, Grayson was in the interrogation room with Vandal, and I was in the observation room next door, watching everything through one-way glass. Vandal and his lawyer were sitting on this metal table, handcuffed and looking bored when Grayson walked into the room. Jake Vandal, so tell me, why turn yourself in? Grayson asked. Because I didn't do anything. I just came here to clean up this mess, Vandal said. My client has done nothing illegal, and yet you issued a warrant against him without proper cause. I don't know about that. You left your flat, emptied out your bank account, and changed your legal residence to your mother's house. You were planning on going on the run, weren't you? Vandal's lawyer side-eyed him, like he was hearing this all for the first time. No, that's why I came in. I wasn't going to do anything, Vandal denied. So why move? Why to get rid of all your money? But because... I only put the money into my mum's account, and I moved in with her because my dad died, and she's been really lonely. Plus, with all the legal trouble and my health, it just made sense, Vandal said. But he stumbled over his words like he was trying to think. He was lying, and he wasn't very good at it. Maybe you answer a few more questions then. Where did you get all the gold coins from? Grayson asked. Vandal looked shocked, like we had caught onto something he didn't think that we would know about. I don't, uh, I just, uh, he stuttered. That's enough, Jake. You don't have to answer any more of these questions. My client complied with an unjust warrant and turned himself in to the police to clear up this confusion. Now that you have seen that he has no intention of breaking the law, we demand that he be released immediately. The lawyer interrupted. Grayson was silent. He and I both knew that we don't have enough to hold him. Not since he turned himself in willingly. No jury would be on our side for this. I texted Grayson to end it for now. His phone buzzed and he looked at it. Fine, I'll go get the paperwork ready. Would you please follow me, sir? Grayson said to the lawyer. They got up and left, Vandal alone in the room. I stood there watching. Suma, you there? I'm about to leave the station. He was talking to someone who wasn't there. I wondered if he had a phone on him and we didn't know about. No, wait, not yet. He started yelling. I didn't know what to think, what to do. I couldn't believe my eyes because right in front of them, Vandal disappeared. I didn't know what to think, what to do. I just stood there like a knot in a log, just trying to figure out what just happened. I was going to call Grayson, tell him that Vandal escaped or something. But just a few seconds later, he reappeared. He quickly glanced around the room and sighed when he didn't see anyone. Okay, no one saw. I think we're good. Just tell me what you wanted to like this, he said. There was a few minutes of pause, like he was listening to a response. Okay, and what does that mean? Another pause. He was definitely talking to someone. The king, huh? Okay, is that good or bad? Oh yeah, I guess they would want to see it. His conversation continued for another three minutes, and Grayson and his lawyer came in about 15 minutes after that into let him go. I watched him walk out the door, looking uneasy. He got bad news, I think. I wonder which of the two of us looked more freaked out at that moment. End of chapter. Part 22. Jake's point of view. I sighed and signed some release paperwork from the precinct, which meant that I was finally able to be let out from holding. I'm sorry this happened to you, Jake, Robert, my family's lawyer, said, and handed me my stuff. The officers had confiscated everything I had when they arrested me. It's annoying, but at least it's over, I said, and slid my jacket back on. 
They was absolutely freezing inside the cells, and they wouldn't give me any blankets because they didn't have enough to go around. I guarantee you I'll make sure that the officers who put that warrant out will face the proper punishment, Robert said as he left the building. Thanks, Robert, but honestly, it may be more trouble than it's worth. I kind of get why they thought I was going to flee the country. I mean, I would have put a warrant out for my arrest if I was in their shoes, I told him. Yeah, but you may be able to get compensation if we do file charges, he said. I was going to ask how much, but decided against it. No, don't worry about it. Besides, I make plenty of money. He looked upset and shook his head. Yeah, about that. We arrived in my car and stopped. If I'm going to defend you, I need to know where you get so much money, despite losing your job nearly a year and a half ago. I sell paper now and other stuff, I told him. He took a deep breath and held it for a moment. Drugs? No, I don't sell drugs, he sighed, relieved. Then what? It must be something expensive to make so much money. I smiled and decided to tell him the truth. It's not like he would believe it anyway. I sell sheets of paper and what is essentially a portion of my life falls to birds and they pay me in gold coins. Jake, please take this seriously, he frowned, not finding it funny. I, on the other hand, was barely keeping it together. It was the first time I'd ever told anyone what I was actually did, without leaving out any details, and it just sounded so stupid. I was snickering as I rolled my eyes, probably thinking that it was having a laugh at my own joke. So it is some new age stuff then, like healing crystals or something. You could say that, yeah, but everything is totally legal, and I reported it all my taxes. I said, yeah, I know, that's good. This whole situation would have been way worse if you hadn't. He pushed his glasses up and pinched the bridge of his nose. All right, just, uh, can you bring me some of the stuff you sell so I can keep it, in case the police come with a warrant for it, and you drop off the face of the earth again? Um, that'll be a bit more difficult, I said suddenly, no longer laughing. I could get him some paper, no problem, but I couldn't exactly hand him a dull jar full of manner. Why? You said it wasn't drugs. It isn't. But it is hard to explain, plus, it is pretty well-guarded secret. Look, I can't force you, but they're going to get a warrant for it eventually. I'm just trying to get ahead of it. I groaned. He was right. I hadn't even considered that they would want proof of transactions. They may already be on the process of it right now, Robert said. A stiff breeze blew past us as a tie started to flap around on his shoulder. He grabbed it and put it under his blazer, then buttoned it up. I don't know what I'm going to do if they do that. I can't give them anything, I said. Well, they aren't going to give you much of a choice. Failure to comply with a warrant will get you right back in those cells, and I won't be able to get you out this time. He started to sound upset. All right, I'll think of something, I sighed. Something legal, obviously. Something that makes sense. I remained quiet on that. Great. With that, I got into my car and went home. It had only been a few hours, so I expected that maybe the moving job would be done. But they must have just arrived because they picked up the bed when I got there. Hey, you guys might be near the new movers, I greeted them. Yes, sir. Sorry about the delay. We got here just as fast as we could, one of the new men said. There were only two, just like the last guys, but they were dressed in the same uniforms. It's no problem. Is that guy okay? He was bleeding a lot, I asked. Yeah, he's getting stitches. The other guy is still filling in an accident report to the hospital. Okay, well, the shit should still be open. But if it isn't, just knock and I'll unlock it, I said, and headed inside. In the house, Mum was cooking something. Oh, Jake, are you okay? Did everything go well? She asked as soon as she saw me. She was carrying on a plate of sweets, which was still steaming. Yeah, everything went fine. Why are you making biscuits? I asked. 
I decided to make the nice men outside some snacks, she explained. I wasn't surprised. She once made a chocolate cake for a plumber that came to install a new shower a few years ago. My mum's answer for having company of any kind was always to feed them. Okay, do you want me to take it out to them? I offered. Yes, please. That would be nice, she said and handed me the tray. I took it out to them, explained why she made it, that she does this for everyone, and asked if they wanted me to put it into the truck for them. They seemed surprised, but happy, and clicked their truck open with their key fob. I put the sweets away and went back inside to tell Mom what Suma had told me, that we needed to travel to go meet some royal council. Mom, I have some news, I said, walking back into the kitchen. Did they not like the biscuits? She asked, worried. What? No, 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 they, they liked them. It's not about that. She was at the sink, cleaning the dishes, and had gotten dirty when baking. What is it? She turned back to the sink and resumed cleaning. Suma told me that we received some kind of royal notice. We have to travel to see some kind of royal council, I explained. Is that good? She looked back at me, still wiping the dish with the rag. I don't know. But she sounded nervous. I grabbed a towel and started helping her dry the ones she'd already cleaned. So, not good then. Probably not, I sighed. But that's not all. Robert said the police are probably going to get a warrant to go through my financials, and they're going to want me to prove that I haven't broken any laws and that all my money was acquired legally. If worse comes to worse, I can just stay with Suba for a while. I mean, it won't be great, and I'll definitely be a fugitive, but you know, no. We'll figure this out. I don't, uh... I don't want you to have to leave, Mum said. Her voice was breaking, and she stopped doing the dishes. I put the plate down and hugged her. I know, Mum. Mum and I talked for a while, but eventually I called Suma and told her I was ready to come back. A few minutes later, she said that she was about to summon me. I kissed Mum on the cheek and started to disappear. When my sight came back, I was standing in the room with Captain Gagalus and had given me, holding a twin-sized mattress I bought. Ah, that explains why you were harder to summon this time. Suma chirped, breathing heavy and looking tired. Is that your bed? Yeah. Can you help me make a frame for it? I asked, placing it on the ground. A frame? What do you mean? She made a perch using one of the vines on the floor. Once she did that, I made a mental note to clean some of the vines up, or at least organize them a bit so I didn't trip over them at night. My bed needs a few feet off the ground, I told her. Oh yes, I remember you told me once that you sleep elevated off the floor. I had a flashback to the one time that Suma summoned me from my bed, and I fell to the ground in front of her. That was probably what she was thinking about, too. Yeah. Can you help me make the frame? I can help you if you need it, but you can manipulate the vines as well as I can now. It should not be a difficult task for you anymore, she said. Yeah. I just think it'll go faster as all. Very well, she said, and started molding several vines. Just do to your side what I do here. She nodded and copied me. It didn't take us long. I didn't need anything fancy after all. Just four legs and a few supports. Is that how you wanted it? Yeah. This looks good. I looked around the room, making the frame use most of the vines in the room, so there was one problem solved at least. The rest of the room felt empty. It was almost entirely made of molded stone, so it had an unnatural smoothness to it. The only non-stone parts were the vines on the floor, and some vines that made up the makeshift door. Originally, I was supposed to use magic to open a hole in the stone wall, but when I tried to, I accidentally turned the stone into a different color, I spent the next 30 minutes explaining to the captain and the lieutenant the differences between metamorphic igneous and sedimentary rocks and how I imagined them during the spell. They were interested in the spell and the explanation, 
but didn't want me to change the colors of the wall every time I got up to pee in the middle of the night. The vine door was added a day later. By the way, I told my mum about the council's summons, I said. How was she? Not happy. She's stressed about everything that has happened. That seems reasonable. I'm rather surprised you're handling it so well. Is that what it seems like? Because I'm not. I think at this point I'm just getting numb from it all. Or maybe it's just that I know that I have an out if I ever need it. Suma nodded. I guess she understood. Suma, I'm pretty tired. I think I'm going to go ahead and go to sleep. I understand, Jake. Sleep well. With that, she opened the vines and left. End of chapter. Chapter 23. Jake's Point of View. Have you ever heard the sound a log makes when it explodes into splinters? It starts with a bit of a creaking, then shifts into a tear, and finally it cracks like a bolt of lightning. Of course, it all happens in a split second. So unless you hear it multiple times, you aren't going to notice all of this. Halfway through our day's training, I must have heard it a hundred times. You need to predict where the targets will be, not shoot where they are. Lieutenant Datu told me after I missed another shot. Yeah, I wasn't the one making the logs explode. Most of that was Odin's. He was a crack shot, as it turned out. We were firing spells at wooden dummies flying around in the air, each moving around quickly and seemingly random. The dummies looked like bird-shaped dolls, but flew like real Niyama. Their wings were wood, but had leaf-like feathers on their edges. Another of the dummies flew over our heads, and Lieutenant yelled for us to all fire. Some of them started their chants. Others, like Suma, simply fired off simple fire spells. She didn't need to chant on her crimson bolt spell anymore, and I launched several of my railgun balls at it. We all missed, even Odin's. We had been doing the same practice for six hours, but only three members of our team were still standing. It was me, Odin's, and Suma, and both of them were looking shaky. Rao and Nine had already collapsed. One of them has thrown up, but I didn't see which. Lieutenant Dadu ordered us to fire again, as another dummy flew overhead. Odin's and I fired off our shots, but Suma fell over. She had managed to create a small flicker of flame, but it went out just as she collapsed too. <sighs> she moaned. And that's another one down, the lieutenant said. You okay? I asked her over our private connection. She didn't answer. Lieutenant, I think Suma fainted. I shouted up to Lieutenant Datu, who was safely perched above and behind us on a metal support beam. She flew down and landed beside Suma, just as I walked up next to her. I picked Suma up in my hands carefully, and started following some of my manner into her. The first time this happened during training, I freaked out, thinking she was hurt. But this was the sixth time now, so I knew what to do. She was overextended herself, and used too much manner trying to keep up with us. I admire her perseverance, but not her foolishness. She's the team healer. She doesn't need to push herself this hard during battle exercises. A healer with no mana is one-way journey to the realm of the dragons for the rest of the team, Lieutenant Tato said. Oh, what happened? Suma groaned and asked when she started waking up. He passed out again, I told her. Don't use any heeding for a while. I put my mana into you to wake you up. She nodded her head, but didn't move beyond that. Her wings hung over the sides of my cupped hands, and her head was leaning on my fingers. The lieutenant sighed. All right, team, training is over for today. If anyone needs healing, go to the base's healing staff. Besides from that, get some rest and replenish your mana. Dismissed. With that, the lieutenant flew off, leaving the team there. I felt fairly okay, a bit hungry, but fine otherwise. The rest of the team, however, they were all in a similar state, if not worse, as Suma. 
Odin's looked like he had just been kicked and was about to fall over. He was swaying side to side, breathing heavily, and with drooping eyes, Rao was splayed out on the floor, face down, but his eyes wide as if he had just seen a ghost. His breathing was ragged and fast, who, after looking closer, I found was the one who threw up, was lying on his side, the one wing tucked in and the other lying flat, like someone who would fall asleep with the arm might pose. He was out cold, too, actually. Still holding Suma, I walked over to Nye and flowed some of my mana into him, too. After a second, his eyes opened and he looked very confused. Did I pass out? He asked. Yeah, I said. Am I dead? Nah. But don't use any magic for a while, okay? I gave you some of my mana to help you wake up. You might kill someone or something, I told him. He just kind of groaned and laid his head back down before closing his eyes again. It took a while, but one by one they all woke up and were moving again, however reluctantly. I feel like I was mauled by a Borag, Odin said. Jake, is your mana supposed to make me feel tingly? Yes, Jake's mana does have that effect. It should pass once you get it out of your body completely, Suma answered well. It may also cause some feelings of nausea, so try not to fly too high. I was a royal already nauseated. Uh, I won't be able to tell. What am I? Antibiotics, I joked. No one laughed. Either they didn't get it, or they were all too tired. Yeah, that's probably why. Anyway, I need to go to my magic classes. How are you still moving, Jake? No, how do you still have mana? Odin's asked. Jake's mana reserves are enormous. He'll be fine, Suma said. Have you ever had it measured? Ro asked. Deja vu, I said quietly, feeling like I had this conversation before. His life force is 500 Kalma and about 60 Dalma, Suma said. There was a moment of silence. So, uh, I'm gonna go, I said and started walking away. How? What? Someone shouted, but I didn't look back. Good luck explaining that, I said to Suma over our private connection. I went to my classes. After I got to class, late by the way, thanks to having to help everyone recover, the instructor had me do control and precision exercises for over an hour to make up for it. Jake, the instructor said from his perch as I was finishing the last of the session's training. I think this would be the last of our private sessions. Why? Why? I asked and stopped what I was doing. My manner dissipated into the air. You have as much control as the average Niamh now, and you haven't made any more progress since reaching that point. No matter what method you use or what technique you learn, you can't seem to improve beyond this point. I think it may be due to the fact that you are not a Niamh, or maybe it has more to do with the sheer amount of mana at your disposal. But I do not think your control will improve any more than it is now, he said. But I need to keep up with the rest of my team, I pointed out. I would argue that you are already as powerful, if not more so, than them. Just due to your unique magic and raw power, I will inform your captain, lieutenant, and the major of your progress myself. I didn't know what to think or how to feel. A part of me was glad that I was done with the lessons, and that I had grown enough to not hold back my team. But I also wanted to keep them up, and learn as much as I could. Thank you, sir. Jake, it was truly a pleasure having you as a student. With that, my instructor spread his wings and bowed slightly before standing back up. After leaving the training room, I went to the team's quarters and told them the good news. I walked down the tall stone halls of the vines seemingly everywhere and heard the sounds of laughter. I walked into the room and saw all the members of my team, each perched on vines or metal or even wooden stone pillars, talking. Oh, hello, Jake, Simmer said when she saw me. One by one, the others all said hi to me as well. How was your training? It was good. 
Actually, yeah, he said I was done. Oh, uh, he let you leave early. That's good, Odin said. No, I mean like, done, done. I, I don't need to attend him anymore. Oh, Silver said, surprised. That is excellent. Congratulations, Jake. Good work, Jake, Lion said. What will you do with your newfound free time? Ro, who has produced a bundle of vines and a few feet away from me, asked. I don't know. What do you guys normally do when I do class? I asked. We either eat, rest, or get medical attention. Ro joked. Odin chuckled. He is joking, but he is not necessarily exaggerating, Silver said. Perhaps you could use your new free time to explore the base. Yeah, really familiarize yourself with your surroundings, Ro said. Apparently puns existed across every world, and they are just as bad whether it comes from a human or a bird wizard. Bad jokes aside, Odin's interrupted, and Ro snickered in his own pun. It is a decent idea. That will have to wait. We're leaving for the capital tomorrow, Suma interjected. I sighed. I'd nearly forgotten. Right. Well, then, maybe you should go to sleep early tonight. You'll be traveling for several days, correct? Line asked. At least, Odin's answered. He was from the capital and made the journey himself when the first came to the base. It took me four days. Yeah, but Sumer isn't as slow as us, Rose said. He and Odin's traveled together. They had known each other for a long time. That's true. Sumer is the fastest member of our team, excluding the lieutenant. How long will we be there? I asked. I do not know, Suma answered. It could be days or weeks. It'll depend on how long the royal court wishes to question us. I shook my head. This was not going to be fun. End of chapter. I would quickly like to thank the T5 channel members and Patreons. Caspar Arnholtz, Cam Maxwell, Lord Azrakal, It's Difficult to Pronounce, Dragzoon, WRE, Holly's Sister, Arcadian. Thank you very much.